0: warning. The following program may contain views and opinions that are entirely uninformed and are not to be taken to heart. So don't start, it's only art. Please apply now a thick layer of sarcasm protection cream to the insides of your ear canals. Deep chats do not intend to offend, merely pretend until the very end.
1: Ask yourself, are you man enough? Hero enough, insane enough, to enter the
0: arena with two of the fiercest gladiators in the galaxy? If you answer yes, you're a big, fat liar. We can choose what we want to take in. We can block out the stuff we don't want to. And even the algorithm plays to that. They want to keep you in your own bubble because that's what will keep you engaged.
1: Yeah, all lives matter, you're right. But you can't say that as a kind of counter statement to Black Lives Matter. No, no one's saying that there are some kinds of lives that don't matter.
0: And it was a dildo.
1: Boris is this, you know, eccentric, laughable buffoon, so he gets let off the hook. Having my mom in particular sort of slowly and
0: quite loudly saying the word slagroom. I have heard the lie that you cannot pee and poo at the same time. Welcome to the third Deep Chats podcast. And as you can probably tell by the lovely piano in the background, this time we have an intro. On this episode, I spoke with my longtime childhood friend Joel Holmes. And in an attempt to try and give a little bit more context to listeners about future guests, I'm now going to ask my guests to describe themselves in terms of their age, appearance, and their judgment skills. Don't worry, it'll make sense in a second. So, here they are for Joel. Age. 22. Appearance.
1: Uh, Blonde, blue-eyed, kind of stick-thin, pale. Judgment skills. I think I go with a with a solid eight on ten very like very rational, very analytic, but prone to sort of anxiety paralysis, if you like of, of sort of weighing up too much and not not including enough of that gut feeling i think um and not sort of yeah i, I think I think I can definitely work on getting a bit of anxiety out of the way when it comes to the sort of decision making process. Cause it, cause it turns even the most rational person irrational very quickly, I think. Um,
0: yes. I find that as well. It, it's a, it's a, it's a daily struggle with, with anxiety. It's weird. Um, but I feel, I don't know what your thoughts are about it. And, and I have no scientific backing for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but um do you think everybody gets anxiety or i know some people like get it more but do you think everybody has a little bit in them that fights against things
1: yeah that's a really good question i mean i mean also you know i I am not proficient enough at this to to be able to give a, a sort of certifiable answer but but i think um yeah i i think you can think of it in in spectra rather than sort of classifications if you like i i think um you know i I sort of accept on the one hand that classifying saying okay this person has problems with anxiety this person doesn't i i can see how it's helpful from the perspective of like diagnosis and how to treat people who do suffer from it quite badly and the different properties of different people's anxiety at different stages in their life i i understand why that you know that human beings think best discreetly. We think in terms of putting things into little boxes, um, and that isn't always a bad thing. You know, it it can be very useful to do that. You're sort of you're sort of slightly simplifying an otherwise very complicated sort of ocean-like picture, um, and yeah. But I but I think sort of in truth, I think it is more of a spectrum. But we but it's sort of best represented as a sort of collection of different ways that people struggle with it and deal with it and uh, progress from it and um, you know and, and obviously there's also that uh, second dimension where it's sort of along one axis it's sort of how anxious do they actually feel but on the other axis it's sort of well okay how how much is this inhibiting the person's life you know and that mm. like you, you've got to think I think uh, you know maybe separating it in terms of the, the sort of practical ramifications of it, you know, as something that is actually affecting someone in their capacity to live versus the, the sort of experience of it as a feeling. Somebody might be, you know, they, they might be placing themselves in very anxious circumstances, you know, they might be doing very stressful things but they have a tolerance to it. It's something that, you know, through an act of will, through a sense of duty, through some other thing, it might be part of their profession, where they're having to engage with very anxious feelings a lot of the time, but it's actually their ability to cope with that is is beneficial to them and they live a good life for it, you know, but yeah yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> i think i think no that was beautifully put i think um one example that sp- springs to mind when you say that is uh, people that perform people that act people that sing people that um do ventriloquism who knows yeah you know <laughs> they they all i wonder whether the, the doll experiences anxiety no it's not a living thing um just need to remind myself of that so yeah it, in those sorts of professions anxiety is is regularly dealt with and it's actually a bad thing a lot of people say to not have anxiety before a performance comedians say this a lot you know if they're going up on stage and they haven't got that buzz about them that that anxious feeling they're not going to be quick enough they're not going to be sharp enough to respond
1: mm. yeah that's um, absolutely that, that that's that's a really good point actually because um often from what i understand you know the people who experience more anxiety can also be of a tendency to experience more like excitement and elation from that experience you know it's it's a sort of it's a sensitivity thing as as uh, as much as anything and i think you know being able to kind of harness that feeling is is quite a good thing i I know i know certainly from my perspective i i you know, the the best sort of musical performances in my life that I've given from a technical standpoint have been the ones where I've been most nervous. Admittedly, those weren't the ones where I had the most fun or was most relaxed. That would be like, you know, playing in a rock band at Party in the Park in the village or, you know, whatever. But, um, but you know, playing quite difficult classical stuff, um, or at least difficult, relatively speaking, for me, um, you know, with like dozens and dozens of people there or... You know where or, or maybe in like uh, a grade eight piano exam or something where the stakes are really quite high for you personally um you know it's it sort of it's about harnessing that anxiety I think. Um, it, it's very different depending on what exactly you're trying to do I think as well because because in performance it, it you know again it it's helpful to split it along dimensions I think where like on the one hand you've got it as a kind of you know, its purpose being to entertain and that it's a medium of entertainment. And on the other, there is a certain desire for critical success, for, for acclaim or for respect or for achieving something kind of noteworthy. Um, you know, and, and that's that's the case whether you're being assessed in an art subject at school or university or something or or whether you're, you know, whether you are actually a creative and, and you are... Trying to do something that will be reviewed and will be, you know, much like this, yeah. this soon to be award-winning Deep Chats podcast.
0: You know, <laughs> Well, you, you, you speak wonderfully there, Joel, especially oh. the end bit. Oh. But I totally get what you what you you mean, and and I think that can be kind of described as a conflict, and uh, that feeling of anxiousness is felt as a conflict in a lot of ways but yeah that like wanting to wanting so desperately for something to be good but then at the same time that maybe not being so beneficial to your performance as sometimes it is better sometimes it's not but i think and it's almost like you want to enjoy what you do right so i want to enjoy this But I think if I put too much pressure on it, I'm not going to enjoy what I do. I'm not going to enjoy my job. And that's the whole point. The whole point of me wanting to do this is to enjoy my job and to not get caught in the traps of... Of, of what would be considered a normal uh, uh, job yeah. existence, etc. I I've I messed that up near the end, but does that, yeah, does that no, no, ring absolutely. true? Absolutely.
1: And I think that the fact that you've clearly sort of run that analysis in your head before suggests that you are susceptible to it, to having that kind of meta-level critique, even as the process is going on. And I love how even this conversation has that kind of meta-layer to it where now I'm thinking like... <laughs> yeah okay I, you know um, i mean i'm enjoying it so far Ben. so
0: <laughs> yeah we should we should ju- if we get to matter we i mean as happens when you when you do go to matter it's just left with silence because there is no more you can say you've yeah. kind of revealed the curtain so far back so many times <laughs> that everyone's just naked <laughs> and like just come out of the womb it's that raw and it's just it's just that I don't uh, really know what to say you've clearly thought about that a lot too haven't you (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, (laughs) there there is
0: that cliche isn't there no 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 no. thinking about your audience naked or whatever it's um yeah (laughs) I've got to pick that up you you know you know that change of voice that you just had that is that is Captain Quark that is where it stems from
1: oh have you
0: seen have you seen um, the new PS5
1: yeah, I've seen the PS5 trailer for the new Ratchet and Clank game, which is uh, exciting stuff. Um, so yeah, just just for context for listeners, I suppose. Um, uh, Ratchet and Clank is a uh, it's a PlayStation video game franchise that um, we both grew up with. Really, uh, I, I certainly was absolutely obsessed with it, and still, you know, still think about it now and again. Still play the games <laughs> every day. No, okay, not every day, but you you get the idea. And. <laughs> Um, it was really formative for me, and I—it's I, an absolute joy to be one of the few franchises where I think I was there from the start, and it's had huge, you know, critical success. Is relatively popular, and to still see it thriving today, aside from a really shit movie it's you know uh, apart from that little segue um no no offense to the people who made the movie um, <laughs> there, there's a reason why the sly cooper movie didn't happen after that um but um but anyway um, yeah. yeah sly cooper's another I franchise don't... that's another, that's another <laughs> story isn't it you'll have to shut me up ben i i, I won't i won't well i, I could just carry on was... about this stuff for days <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know what you mean that emotional connection to it, it, when you see something from its its beginning you do have an emotional connection to it because you feel like you've maybe somewhat contributed to that success or you've lived vicariously through that yeah almost yeah absolutely and yeah, no, I, I think about that.
1: i think to see how it formed a lot of parts of me I I guess it it, it seems silly to a lot of people to describe a video game on those terms but you know I I became a sci-fi fan through Ratchet and Clank it's these crazy weapons and alien planets this alien and this robot teaming up and battling bad guys and you know flying off to different cool worlds, crazy characters great sense of humour, all of this stuff and you know it's not just a love of science fiction it then became a you know how did they make this thing but, you know how, what's going on behind the steering wheel of this as, as a video game and looking at it from a more technical side which they also excelled at and you know here I am doing computer science so it's it's no great secret to me I even put it in my personal statement as the kind of opening you know look at me I'm charismatic and kind of human sort of line you know that was my first yes. line was like that video games were the starting point of all this
0: um, so, so to ask a bit of a uh, a, a specific question. Um, so you've obviously thought about how much Ratchet & Clank has formed who you are. If you were to put a percentage on how much <laughs> of you has, has kind of like, be, yeah, has been formed by the game. I mean, you can put it along axes or whatever of um, uh, like how it's uh, implemented, uh, how it's affected your um more academic thinking as opposed to your social thinking like how how, to put a percentage on it yeah that's how how much that's really interesting i mean certainly
1: i can't sort of yeah it's difficult not to understate or overstate its influence i think in percentage terms it would be rather small just because you have to think well okay you know, there's shit tons of music and politics and, you know, my parents and friends and teachers and everything that kind of, you know, there, there's a whole, you know, anything you, you connect with in any way really it will shape you in some form or another to, to increasingly cascadingly tiny percentages. but But it's, you know, it's got to be a sort of a few percent at least it's got to be you know something something <laughs> three there. four. It, you know it has its own slice on the pie chart that's what i yes. that's what i'm getting at um but you know it, it's a really interesting thing actually i what what i think is interesting with that game is i um so so uh, my ex-girlfriend had a nintendo switch and she loved playing super mario odyssey on it And I was kind of baffled by the game mechanics. I I had never played 3D Mario before. And, you know, this was sort of um, about a year and a half ago. And... I I was like, well, how how did you know how to do that thing? Well, you know, why did you throw that hat at that lamppost and coins came out of it or something? You know, that makes no sense to me. But that's because the games that I was playing had a certain level of sort of believability to the physics. They were cartoony games, but they were also sort of science fiction in a slightly random. more plausible way yeah exactly so like every game franchise has its own kind of logic it has its own set of kind of rules that you have to apply to the worlds that you're in to, to progress and to do well um yeah okay a double jump is impossible but like once you learn that that's a kind of set rule you know you, you apply it so so i think it it I think it can be a really useful tool for children, actually, to say, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you wanted to get onto this, actually. I, I could see your eyes lighting up there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's a shame this doesn't have a, a visual component, because my eyes are just going out, and I'm like, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Because yeah, I the- think, I mean, yeah. me, me and you, because we've, we've known each other for so, so long, we we probably do... Share uh, uh, ways of thinking about things and uh, topics that we naturally move on to, and where our head goes. We probably share some sort of neuro pathways, if that's the <laughs> right word. Um, so, yeah, w- w- and that that was exactly where I was going to go to in terms of like kids and video games and how like the games, although on the surface they can seem you know, violent uh, or yeah, encouraging that sort of behaviour, or not um, relatable to the real world. When you look at the decisions that these kids have to make, or all the people, or, you know, uh, constantly, they are they're developing something. You know,
1: mm. yeah, no, that, that that's a really good point. I think obviously, um, you know, as as children, the 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 way that the brain is is developing and adapting, um, it, it's it's a much more sort of malleable entity, you know, it's it's more easily shaped, um, and so as as we get older, to, to put it in the sort of simplest terms, you you kind of you, you become more hardwired, you become more set in stone, you know. Um, it, it's why old people stubbornly don't change their views or adapt to the times that we live in, and it, it's why people develop a comfort zone with certain things. It, you know, It's why older people struggle to learn new skills in quite the same way that children can as well. You know, if we're talking in terms of the arts or in terms of language, for example, you know...
0: As a good it's ex- pretty clear... Uh, like uh, psychologically in terms of studies that that is the case. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And you know, language is a really good example of that. Uh, you know, Brits are put to shame by our quite terrible ability when it comes to learning foreign languages. Often, and, and a lot of that is set in school because we we start learning foreign languages seriously in most cases at age eleven. And even then, it, you know, you're only sort of scratching the surface. And you know, compared to other schools where they're, you know, they're, they're speaking semi-fluently in a language by that age, it's, it's, you know, it's just, just embarrassing. But that, you know, it shows because then they can go on to learn other languages
0: with a greater flexibility. Uh, but what you're forgetting is. Um us Brits have a special power uh, in which if we talk slower and louder to a foreign person in our own language, they actually understand it more. Um, it's, it, it's it's a power... Um, Really, only the Brits have, but I mean, it's well known and uh, widely appreciated by <laughs> foreigners.
1: I, I will never forget. Um, I hope my mum doesn't listen to this because it's really funny. But um, the, the, when we went to uh, Bruges, this was my first ever holiday abroad, and... Um, and they have, you know, you know the stereotypes of Belgium in terms of like um, chip vans and chocolate and waffles everywhere or whatever. It, it really was like that at Bruges. It, it was heaven. I, I loved it there. Really fell in love with the place. And I remember going to um, going. We went to order some waffles and the word for cream in Flemish which is what they're speaking there is uh, is slagroom. It's no it's slag room oh. which is I, I mean you're not far wrong that's the crazy thing so of course having you know having my mom in particular sort of slowly and quite loudly saying the word slag room while sort of flailing her arms about as if that's gonna make it clearer I bless her. We we, we we did tease her a bit about it um when my girlfriend came to meet my parents for the first time because um um, for, for context my girlfriend's Latvian and I'm going to see her tomorrow on a flight I haven't seen her since February so absolutely crazy F- fingers crossed it all goes yeah. well it's a pretty precarious situation yeah, but let's um, be too soon yeah but um but yeah, so so when she came over for the first time in December to, to visit my parents, obviously we were recalling this, making the jokes, you know, to uh, <laughs> just sort of, you know, every time she'd walk into the room, um, when mum came in, we would just sort of say hello to her, but in the loudest and most patronising possible <laughs> terms. Um, and yeah, but it makes for a good story so
0: <laughs> it does that that, that that is the best thing it's like and even if you're on the receiving end the bad end of that story it's kind of i think a way to think about these things is say so, so say you have an, embar- an embarrassing moment and you can always reassure yourself that it's a memory i think yeah um, i think that's that's a good way to to live to go through the world and coming to, coming if you're before you go into a scenario, if you think about the worst case scenario and how that could potentially be a memory, that's a nice softener. Because if it does happen, you go, bloody hell, that was awful, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, at least I've got that one in the bank for if I do a podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. But
0: I I I don't have many stories. My memory is so bad. It's probably where we differ. Mine sort of go down similar routes, but your memory is... Incredible! It far it, outweighs mine. That, that's that's and I, very and kind think,
1: of you. It's really, it's really funny you should say that because my, my girlfriend's memory is absolutely impeccable, and I it puts me to shame. Honestly, like I thought my memory was fine, but like no, especially when you don't know how to revise for exams properly. Like that's yeah. I, I was I was surprisingly grateful for online exams over handwritten exams this term because I didn't have to remember everything. I could sort of have notes everywhere, you know. <laughs>
0: Um, how how was that like how was that was that nerve-wracking because i haven't really had a chance to speak to you about yeah
1: yeah yeah so so just for the listener's sake this is the first time me and ben have actually properly spoken since um so all, all of my exams were happening in late may and most of june i have 30 hours of them which is pretty crazy um and yeah they were all online so there was it's fucking ridiculous (laughs) more like that's fucking insane you know trying to be political in my answer here um but um (laughs) i i was very against the idea i i much preferred what some other unis were doing where they had a safety net policy that was a kind of minimum threshold of saying look you've been working at a 2-1 so far as long as you pass these exams, you're going to get a two one. You can do the exams. You don't have to do the exams. If you do the exams, you do well. Great, we'll take that. If not, fine. Um, what Oxford did was do all of the exams online anyway. Um, almost all of their advice to candidates was assuming that we would type our exams um, before they realized that a lot of science degrees, ironically, computer science is the worst suited degree, to do exams on a computer um, because half of what I write is like <laughs> Greek symbols and stuff. So it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's a nightmare to type. So I only did my two sort of essay based subjects typed and all the others, you know, handwriting, uh, scanning them on my phone through office lens and set, e- emailing them in praying that my internet connection held up. And um, it was very peculiar. Um, I, I really, I, it wasn't the process that I was most frustrated by. I, I, you know, I didn't mind the process because I, you know, you kind of get that like home comfort element of like this is my desk and I can put the work around you know wherever I want. I can eat,
0: I can drink, and you can, I can wear what yeah. I
1: want. It's you, you know, exactly. You can
0: visualize beforehand yeah, where yeah, you're yeah, going to exactly. be exactly. You, you can almost practice for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But but what I what I was very unhappy with and very concerned about, um, were how that like it. it, it it was sort of how they would account for the differences in people's home and living standards and like the, the environments that they're working in, the environments they're revising in, how the pandemic has affected everybody individually, and also, um, frankly, collusion and cheating. Um, because, of course, what's to stop a third of the computer scientists in my year from... Being on a on a fucking messenger chat yeah. while they're doing the paper, you know.
0: Um, if, sorry, <laughs> if it wasn't if it wasn't before, um, it's not uh, what you know. It's who you know. I mean, that would definitely <laughs> apply here yeah, because uh, yeah. it could be. Who? You, I mean, you could be literally on the computer to um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of a official term for someone really high up in the computer science um, domain. You, but do they have titles like that? You mean nerd? Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm, allowed nerd. I, I, I'm allowed to make that
1: joke? I'm allowed to make that joke. Although, yeah, <laughs> but this is the funny thing. So, like. Um, I'm not, as an Oxford student, very well integrated into the department at all, to be honest. Um, for a start, because I'm a computer science and philosophy student, which is this kind of rogue corner of niche indie hipster people that want to do something kind of cool and different. Um, I, I'm, I'm really talking out my ass at this point. I'm very sorry <laughs> to every comp film. <laughs> but, um the <laughs> <laughs> um, confil is an awesome degree and I'm really glad I did it but um but yeah it does mean that you're kind of slightly in a bit of a corner um you don't do as much in computer science and also on a personal level um you know someone who was a bit more isolated and introverted through most of my time at uni so far and also was extraordinarily busy in that first term where a lot of people kind of bed in and make friends and things um my priority was just finding a close-knit group in college rather than in the department. So um, I'd say I'm getting more familiar with it now, but it's sort of too little, too late. I I certainly don't, you know, I'm certainly not quite as well integrated or part of the kind of uh, in crowd, if you like. Not, you know, not that there really is such a strong hierarchy when it's like Oxford students, you know, it's like, Mm. yeah. But but you get the idea.
0: Yeah, I feel like... Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's quite a, I mean, it's a big thing everywhere, um, feeling isolated and lonely, especially now, but um, before coronavirus at at uni is, it's really prevalent and it's, I've definitely experienced it. And it's difficult because you are doing a degree where you really want to do well. um, And, and I think in most instances, in order to create a social circle, you maybe need to join a society or two and you need to really commit to that. Um, and and couple that with maybe your first time being outside the house um, and living on your own. It's such a difficult mix for young people to, to find people that they can really trust and gel with and like confide in. Over such a short amount of time in such a, such a crucial portion of, of their life, it's so difficult. Um, I don't know what your specific experience was. Whether you had a low point in 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 uni being on your own, or
1: yeah, no, I, I think I think it's really good what you said. Actually, I, I think I think there's a real um, well, it's, it's something I it's something I thought a lot in first term of first year where I. I I had a pretty rough time of it and it was very stressful for me, especially because I picked the one college that had like a maths week before fresher's week. I mean, seriously.
0: Uh, um, That's how you get the party really started.
1: (laughs) Um, But yeah, that, I, you know, I really panicked and really struggled with that um, and went, went home to uh, spend some time with my ex literally that weekend afterwards. Um, But that whole term, I, I was very busy and, Um, hardly keeping up with work and it was all, you know, a bit mad. Um, And and what was really interesting is that, you know, I would see people that I was, you know, getting to know during this first term who seemed like they were managing it a lot better. They seemed a lot happier. They seemed sort of, or or not so much happier, sort of, they, they would joke about the stress. They would joke about the exhaustion, but there was this, there was this, um, counterbalancing kind of excitement and sort of, you know, real anticipation about everything and a real kind of like, yeah, this is going to be lit. This is going to be really cool. And I-, I couldn't quite get that. And and mm. and as it turns out, what's really interesting, so so some people, I think, genuinely were experiencing it in that way and it was really positive for them. And, that, you know, that's fantastic. Um, I think naturally more extroverted and confident people, uh, you know, will experience that. But... um I think a lot of people were sort of joining in with that to sort of fake it until you make it in a kind of not not in a not in a bad way, you know, just in a way that was kind of, you know, wanting to have a good time and really really kind of worried about having that good time. And and the greatest irony of it was that like I would turn up in second term and I was doing a little bit better with second term because I I managed to kind of get a little bit less busy, put it all into perspective, and I said to a couple of people like you know how does this compare to first term and they said oh yeah no this is a lot better for first term was kind of rough actually
0: hmm. and some of yeah. those
1: people you know not not exactly but some of those people were the ones who were kind mm. of you know they would post on social media saying oh my god this was the best first start to uni that i could have wished for i've met some amazing people blah 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 and okay the the you know the friends you've made that that might be a really special thing but that doesn't seem to speak to the experience that I now recall most people having, and that's a really interesting yeah. thing I think. Uh, whereas I yeah. was perhaps and, a yeah, bit more you, open about it at the time. <laughs>
0: and, and, and you can't, yeah, you can't really be too angry um, at someone's Instagram post. You're like, that's not a fair representation of your life. Why are you doing that? Because it's like, well, yeah, of course it isn't. That's what that's what Instagram is. Like, I shouldn't, I should know this by now. It's not, hmm. it's not. Hmm. Um, everything that you see it's not all the complexities of someone's life and and you know people shouldn't be made to to give a fair representation and tell everyone the shit stuff but it, it does speak to something larger which is so interesting culturally with social media and everything and this fake it till you make it and this sort of like convincing yourself that everything's okay and 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 i don't know whether that's good for you or bad for you i think honesty is lacking in today's society and that's what i love about podcasts you have a a, the time to explore things and to be honest and for someone not to misconstrue what you're saying as much because you've got it in this huge context of a conversation Mm -hmm. where you can really analyze who that person is and and get a better picture but Today, yeah, it doesn't. I don't feel like there's much as much of that honesty, even from person to person, especially amongst the younger generation. Because if you if you come into this world and then naturally you're making assumptions, you're figuring stuff out from what's out there, and if what's out there is this two dimensional, um, superficial in in many ways um thing of of social media you you might think oh that's how we interact that's how i need to be i need to keep things in and give an external um image of myself but then that that is sort of counterbalanced with the amount of good stuff that's on social media the amount of um uh, positive messages that i feel like i, I want to compare social media to a, a drug almost that we didn't know the side effects of until a little bit later. So it, it's like a drug and we released it to everybody. It was free for everyone. And then we saw what was happening with it and through giving it to everyone, we learnt its cons and its its pros. Yeah. And now, now it's been a, a, around for a while. We can really, the evidence is there. We can really start to see why it's bad for people, and and why it's good for people, and then hopefully in the future we can, I mean, we people are starting to educate people on on when not to use this drug, yeah, when to use yeah. it, sort of thing. I, I
1: think I think that's a brilliant comparison, actually, Ben. I I really like that because it's. Kind I'm full of, of them, Joe. Come on, <laughs> you should know this by <laughs> now. Um, no, but it's um, I I think it speaks to this this wider characteristic of of um society where we kind of or even pre-society you know just as a species we are a species that learns empirically and inductively in in a lot of cases and yes we can reason analytically but when it comes to the you know phenomenon in the external world um it's you know we we learn a lot of the time by trial and error we bump into things and we make mistakes and we discover something that has an immediate benefit or has an immediate short-term you know advantage and often fail as a collective group to fully understand it or regulate it or test it or whatever it is um you know it this goes as far back as alcohol or you know much more recently things like cigarettes or things i don't know certain kinds of political thought for example you know you could make the same comparison with um free market capitalism because it it offers this benefit of um seemingly endless uh, economic growth that has helped uh develop a lot of societies and and improve a lot of people's net wealth and things but of course that gravy train is running out and will continue to run dry and um you know it, it 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 is unsustainable and it's not forever mm-hmm. and it's sort of you know as we can see in politics not to get too political at this point but you know the the chickens are coming home to roost in that sense and I think it's this similar thing of like people are so quick to latch on to the benefits of something um and often often I think there is an awareness of the problems but it's <laughs> You know it's easier to to brush them under the carpet it was easy for yeah. zuckerberg to to not worry about regulating social media it was easy for instagram to not worry about you know banning um profiles that were committing hate speech and you know yeah. uh, showing videos of violence and things it was okay yeah. for twitter to be you know not banning neo-fascism for example and and it's a similar thing i think where it's like it's it's easier to do that until pushed until forced to make that change and i i think maybe as a generation we have to look at social media uh, you know on those terms now and think mm-hmm. we you know I, I i don't think we're stupid with it i think we know you know our generation knows that 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 it can be very superficial, that it can um, give a lot of people an awful lot of low self-esteem and it becomes this sort of um, to-ing and froing of like showing your best face to one another. Um, but I think there, there is a counter-movement to that now. I think there is a sort of growing sense of let's be honest about what our bodies look like and what we feel like and, you know, all sorts of things. It's just whether that sort of... At the moment, it's a bit of a niche fashion, I think. It, it needs to extrapolate. It needs mm-hmm. to bed in, I think, maybe. But-
0: and, and I suppose the, the other problem with social media is... Uh, and I suppose things like YouTube is we can choose what we want to take in we can block out the stuff we don't want to take in so we can live in our own bubble and not get those messages that is easy enough to do and even the algorithm plays to that they want to keep you in your own bubble because that's what will keep you engaged mm-hmm. but I want to like bring back to a point that you said like humans almost a part of human nature is we um, we try things and we get things wrong and it's, it's the two sides. It's that I think that is so true of humans. Um, and that in my perspective of the world, I want to give the benefit of the doubt. Um, but, you know, I don't want to be too liberal with that. I want to give the benefit of the doubt once, twice, but I don't want to give them people a free reign because then you get the other side, which is the Zuckerbergs, um, who, again, it's too... It's easy... They can, like, or, or some people where they can like, they can make a mistake, but then they're going into this knowing that they're making a mistake, but then have the get-out clause of going, "Oh, it was a mistake. Come on, everyone makes mistakes." Yeah. So it's such yeah. a difficult balance. I mean, I think that the line is probably, well, should definitely be drawn, um, uh, where people are in society if they hold positions which are huge they should be held to account more they should you know because they've got more responsibility but on a micro level i think sometimes people are too quick to categorize a person uh to cancel them to write them off when they have just made a mistake and they are a human being and it is whether they learn from that mistake which is the most important part and whether they truly seriously take stuff on board and and i feel like another sort of separate point is we need to normalize people being able to change their minds, people being able to Mm. it not be embarrassing to be wrong. It should be totally accepted and like almost encouraged, you know, go into something and, and, and be wrong. And I think that, that culture exists in a work sense. I don't know whether it exists in a personal sense because in a work sense, I think it's greatly encouraged to be like, go into things. If you fail, it doesn't matter how many times you fail. It's it's you getting up and, and trying again. But in a personal way, when you come to politics, beliefs, uh, ideas about the world, people, that they, they, they struggle to change their mind because it hurts. It hurts to have to... Oh, like reconstruct your whole yeah, view yeah. about the world and you've you've worked so hard to to build it up. Yeah, we we we
1: almost need a sort of purge day where we all kind of start from bedrock and just remove all our preconceived beliefs and just try and build it back up again like sort of descartes style i think therefore i am you know but um um, but um but it's really interesting I, i think you can draw a really nice link between sort of the start of what you're saying and the end of what you're saying in that um this sense of like having your kind of set of preconceived beliefs and wanting there, there's a sort of that you know, uh, with a lot of people, there's a real desire to reinforce those beliefs and to discard you know evidence that seems to render your own beliefs inconsistent. I think it's why politically we are where we are. And I think where the really interesting link is that you're making is to the role that social media is playing in this. It's why we have political bubbles in social media, people, you know, through through the use of machine learning, essentially that's what it is, through um, Twitter's ability to find you relevant tweets or people politically and Google's ability to tailor your Google News feed to the sort of stuff that you would enjoy reading or engage in reading, it, it offers um, a greater weighting to uh, evidence and news and views and opinions that correlate with your own. and. I think, you know, people like that because there's only a certain dosage with which we want to be challenged, you know. Um I think I think it's really important for people to sort of reevaluate their beliefs or, or at the very least to sort of I think there almost is a a bit of a duty for every individual to sort of engage in a little bit of critical thinking. And, and, you know, it's not so easy for so many people because, you know, we've we've got lives to live. It's easy for me. I do logic as like a third of my degree. It's easy for me to sit around and like muse about philosophy or politics or some, you know, or or modern technology or something. But like people have got mouths Uh, to feed. Ratchet and clan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, You know, it'd be all Slag room, whatever it was. (laughs) it'd be be awfully hypocritical of me to just say everyone should be able to engage sort of ancient greek philosophy style in like in this kind of discourse but you know to to sort of at least go about you know verifying the information they're seeing on social media maybe once in a while actively seeking out a counter-argument and seeing how they Mm. might kind of you know, maybe be persuaded by it, maybe allow that to come into their set of of views and beliefs. But um yeah, but I I think there is is sorry, go go on.
0: (laughs) No, I just interrupted you there, but I'm gonna take this (laughs) interruption. Uh, you can you can see the ground, but I am (laughs) latching onto it. There 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 is this culture of if you even listen to the other sides, that means you're agreeing with them. And that means that you that means you agree with everything that they say and therefore you are awful and we can't we can't yeah that you're a bad person and it's it's so much i get it because of course that makes sense on a base level yes the vast majority of people i don't know the the vast majority of people that listen to something are, are listen to something regularly are likely to agree with a lot of what's said but it doesn't mean that they agree with everything and it and there isn't that um appreciation of or that encouragement to listen to another side and be able to critically think about it Mm. and be like, wait, where could I be going wrong here? You know, in in one way you could look at it as, you know, if you're really staunchly for certain beliefs, you could be like, okay, what are the other side thinking? Because if I know what the other side are thinking, then I can better combat that. Or like, I think again a, a slight side point but when people say um uh, like uh, ch- check check your say like white privilege i think that that is that makes sense and that uh, is totally right and i think in the same sort of style I would maybe make that a term for everyone in terms of saying check your confirmation bias. Here. Just check it, check it for a second, and be like, "Wait, check who I am. Check where my head is going, what I've what I've taken in, whether I'm trying to just reaffirm what I know here." Um, but it a lot of these problems they come down to language as well what people are living by even if it's slightly different definitions it's that has huge repercussions because then what I'm saying is different to what you're hearing um you know and that, that can be really um it can get people really angered. I know like you know there's there's a there's a particular section of of the online community i think potentially the alt-right you could say or or that gets quite angry at the word feminism <laughs> and i think they're living by different definitions yes yeah. feminine yeah. you know when 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 someone on the right hears the word feminist they hear they're trying to over overstep their reach and they're trying to make things unequal and they're trying to, you know, just just take over in their extreme. Whilst other people that are feminists, you know, they 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 wear feminism on their on themselves as a badge because they should do, because their definition is we're trying to reach equality here. You
1: mm. know what I mean? Yeah, and it's it, it's about um sort of steering the ship like correcting course in a certain sense so it's like yes you might be advocating things you know more to women's favor but that's only to sort of counterweight what's been going on um sorry i don't know if my audio went crap there there was some sort of lorry or something driving past but um but yeah i, I think it's um yeah i i think you make a really good point and, and particularly on the on And what you were saying about the alt-right, I think there are two strands to the right in terms of their approach to feminism. So one, um, or or rather three, because obviously there's the sort of liberal conservative that actually would identify as a feminist, but their disagreement is in how to enact feminism and they would argue Mm -hmm. it's about, you know, um, the state not interfering, ensuring equality of opportunity, but but then they're completely ignoring the the deep rooted issues, uh, particularly economically. For example, the way that austerity has um, negatively impacted women more than it has men, and minorities more than it has white people, etc. Um, but um, but then there are these two other strands of, of right wing thinking. I think one of them sees it exactly as you've described that that feminism is a is a movement that. Is pushing to make women the the better sex and that you know the superior sex and that they're taking it too far and it's ridiculous or whatever, um, you know, frankly I, I just don't buy it I, I, I don't understand what, what what they're really getting at but uh, I you know I I think it's it's very similar with the uh Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter the people saying All Lives Matter well it, you know they um it. <laughs> Without the context. Without the context
0: of the time. Yeah. Like, if someone had said that two, two three years ago, I think the people. Like everybody would agree with that, but it's just the context of the time where it's just
1: yeah. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, all lives matter. You're right, but you can't say that as a kind of counter statement to Black Lives Matter. No, no one's saying that there are some yeah. kinds of lives that don't matter. It's you know, you're not making a claim there. You're not making a counter argument. You're not doing anything apart from throwing your toys out of the pram because you don't like the fact that there is a very pressing issue you know if you think all lives matter why aren't you there at the protests why aren't you yes. there educating yourself about the the very pressing issues that are going on here yeah. about the institutional racism not just in the police but in other in wider institutions such as politics and in uh, legal institutions as well uh, in yes. businesses etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know and then but but what's really interesting just to circle back sorry um to this third there's this third strand that at least i can identify in right-wing politics which is a very like traditionalist conservative um you know, conservative streak which is kind of actually that they sort of think women should be seen as the inferior sex. that you know there yeah. there is amongst many um a sort of uh (laughs) an an even stronger than nuclear family kind of stereotype that women are simply the nurturers and bearers of children and that they you know Mm. that's unfortunately you know it it it, it's it's grounded predominantly in uh, certainly in the west in fundamentalist christianity and a refusal to let go of that as we become increasingly secular and science-led um you see it in the Middle East, for example, in very different circumstances under, um, you know, fundamentalist religion again. And obviously they are kind of in general, not to generalize too much, but sort of on the whole, they are decades behind us in terms of um, how strong a presence religion is in their institutions and in their day-to-day culture. Um, and I think that's why you see the subjugation of women a lot a lot more. Mm. Um but it, you know, it's still a pressing issue in the West. I think really, um, Scandinavia and the Baltic states and some countries in Central Europe, I think, are really leading the way here. I, I certainly know um, from from my girlfriend as a Latvian, you know, she she we, we've had all sorts of conversations about this, and they are ahead of the curve on us, you, you know, on this in terms stuff. Of gender yeah, in terms of gender politics. equality, in terms of, and in terms of it sort of not being an issue, like, like. Mm. You know for, from their perspective they they you know they could like they could quite easily think that feminism is is sort of a, a dirty word because there's no need for it in latvia so from their perspective it would seem like it's taking these too far because they, well they, there's not an issue there so much i mean mm. yeah okay there's a there's a near negligible pay gap you know it, it is still there but it is you know lower than ours um but it's you know th- th- this this nuclear family notion of like the the hunter gatherer father going out and bringing home the bacon and all, all of this stuff. Um, I think we still have work to do on that, and yeah. you know it. We're, we're, we're it- making progress, but but then we are you know you and I are not in the place to say that that mission is complete or, or even to yeah. really definitely evaluate Mm. how much left there is to come you know it's
0: not quite up to us but well absolutely i think i feel like everyone should take anything that that is said on any podcast but especially this podcast (laughs) with with, with a halfway through the show (laughs) (laughs) you lie joel it comes at the start (laughs) every single time but but i think yeah we should take take everything that we say with a pinch of salt you know we are we're not making any illusions of who we are here we're just two people having a conversation and we don't we're so ready to be wrong we don't think we're right about everything this isn't a preach it's just you just listening to a conversation although we have made multiple references to the fact that listeners are here but anyway yes (laughs) that that um it's difficult because it's like you don't there are there are differences biologically between the genders of course but it's like how far does that go do we know and 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 maybe to even play play devil's advocate with you or to counter what you're saying to explore the thought is that how how much do those little differences in gender to gender how do they extrapolate how do they go further in life so say say that men uh, men have testosterone. They have a tendency to be let's because I don't know the the biology. I, they have a tendency to more, be more aggressive. So how does that then go into real life? How does that does that mean men make different on average different. Uh, job choices do they go into more um physical manual labor type jobs naturally because that's where their genetics are um and how and is that changing how much does that you know do you see what i mean yeah yeah absolutely so so one
1: thing that i think is worth clarifying because in these sorts of discussions that unfortunately you know we we do have to have this nuance to it um, it's you know there is this difference here between biological sex and gender and it's you know um it's <laughs> the, the idea of gender is sort of it, it's different in the sense that that is the mechanism by which one may identify as a different gender while still belonging to um, you know the, the biological sex to which they were born or something like that yeah. um, but just sort of for, for simplicity in this discussion just kind of setting aside those cases for one moment and just talking about it as men and women not you know unfortunately yeah. that's the easiest way to talk about it in the majority of cases um, It you know to talk about it along those terms, I think there is a natural tendency for, you know, for, for men to lean towards some roles, maybe, and women to lean to, towards others. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, it, given, given the way society is at the moment, given the way that we are all to an extent socially conditioned... We we don't know whether that's true. That's the thing. We you know you can't experiment on this because you can't raise children in a magic cube where you control exactly what they're exposed to in terms of their influences. And even then, you need a ridiculously large sample size of individuals with different genetic makeup, yes. a different hormone levels, all sorts of things. So it's you know it's difficult to separate what is uh, you, you know the sort of natural delta and the. Mm. Um, the 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 environmental delta, if you like, the kind of the differences yeah. that are created by. Um, the kind of toys that we play with and the things mm. that our parents and teachers say to us you know the, the, the this generation old problem now of um, teachers encouraging boys to go into maths and engineering and physics and so on and for girls to go into uh, at, at the most academic kind of biological sciences or something but otherwise mm. more towards the arts or the humanities or something um, you know and it's really difficult to separate out, I think, the impact of that versus any kind of natural variation. There, I, I'd imagine there's some natural variation because, you know, there's that there, there we have different biological characteristics. And again, this is ter- talking strictly in terms of biological sex rather than gender. Um, yes,
0: I put I I <laughs> that up earlier. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no don't, don't, don't you're worry. Right. Like, it's so
1: easy to conflate the two. And the thing is, is that, again, like I think, you know, i i i could never be offended by a conflation like that knowing you knowing mm. that you have you know in my eyes very progressive credentials you know um but um i, I love that smile love that smile <laughs> and the mustache <laughs> by the way i I, ha, I have to mention it at some point it's um first time i'm seeing
0: this so we we, we should reference it and i should reference that one wonder- oh you're stroking it right now um, and stroking that a wonderful, wonderful something um <laughs> yeah well that's it what are we talking about here is it a beard or is or is it is it is it, is it a goatee because i had that similar style of facial hair until i moved to the mustache it's been quite the the exploration uh <laughs> facial hair it's been it's been quite the exploration for me um but i've, I've settled on a mustache for yeah, now with a slight nice. soul patch but yourself how would you define that it's um
1: I'd define it as laziness. Um, it's <laughs> it's, um, it's a kind of shaggy style, like like not as not as long as shaggy, but a similar kind of color and just kind Ooh, of
0: yeah.
1: there's you know there's the sideburns to it, and then there's a bit of a kind of bit bit of a dry patch as you move towards the chin. And I, I never thought I'd be expected to describe passionate. my beard in this level of detail, but you know I I kind of just love that we can go with that. It's it's. <laughs> You know,
0: just, exactly. just,
1: you know, for 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 listeners' sake. I mean, me and Ben have known each other since we were very young, and. And just basically talk about any old shit and still get a laugh out of it. I mean, I not not to circle too uh, much. Uh, sorry. Too a, a laugh
0: a laugh for ourselves and ourselves only, yeah. as the <laughs> listeners are probably finding out. <laughs> yeah. That's so we true. We can we can get a laugh out of it. Yeah, I for ourselves. I, but for anyone else listening, oh! I, I, <laughs>
1: I, I have a lovely little story about this actually. I don't know if you'll remember this, but um uh so when we first became kind of really sort of best friends around you know seven or eight years old and um i this is kind of weirdly circling back to ratchet and clank i mean how could it not there was a time where in uh, this was in class two of, of our little village primary school and we had a little show and tell day and i i wanted to Talk to everyone about Ratchet and Clank, and I had to get Ben up to, to to like riff with me a little bit. Um, we sort of quoted the scene. Uh, it's like one of the Infobots, or like the the sort of coordinates to one of the planets, or something about the arena battle or whatever. I, I can't even remember for the life of me how it goes. It's
0: something like that kind of. You are you are scratching at the scratch card of my memory right yeah. now. And there's a number coming up. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's sort of. I am. And it's incredible when this happens and it's probably one of my, the most joyous feelings I can ever yes. have is when yeah, someone is. uncovers a memory that you kind of forgot about. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm transported to Mrs Ackenley's face <laughs> for some reason and I'm just, yeah. oh God, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm in Church Broughton, I'm remembering class two, oh. I'm remembering being in year three. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's weird, but joyous. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Sorry. I, I, yes, go I, on. I was too shy to say it. So I got you to come up with me. And neither of us could remember how it went. But Mrs. Hopkinson was pissing herself laughing. Probably at us. We thought we were really cool at the time, but. <laughs> It would, no, I know, I know. It was the one that was like, ask yourself, are you man enough, hero enough, insane enough to enter the arena with two of the fiercest gladiators in the galaxy? If you answer yes, you're a big, fat liar. <laughs> 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 we, we thought we were so cool for that. I mean, to, to be fair, though, uh, I think our sense of humor has definitely been shaped by stuff like that. I have This is why I stick with that particular gaming franchise, because the... Oh my god the the jokes they managed to sneak into this right the, these games just for context were were rated 3 plus okay right and that there was genuinely there's a line where a character who is meant to be like a bill clinton parody like a president style character he says, he says uh, <laughs> I, i'm gonna mess up the line now but he says something like uh so uh ratchet my daughter tells me you're a man that's good with his hands and then he's like no no sir uh, i swear i never like that and he, he cuts her off and it's like how the hell i did not me? have sexual relations yeah, 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 yeah exactly yeah. and then there's a bit with um captain quark where he's um so he, he's like the this sort of uh celebrity superhero of the franchise he's a coward he's he's you know very surface level he, he's really cowardly and really dumb and whatever he retreats to this uh
0: jungle he, he, you that, know. that was sorry that was played by me during the the class two yes, it um, totally was. <laughs> uh, role play um, i i slipped into that role just too yeah, well yeah dumb um and, uh, and, bulky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what can I say? Uh, um,
1: yeah, actor from an early age. Ben, I I, I remember fondly. But um, yeah, and there was this amazing scene where he's like he befriends this monkey from this jungle planet and sort of brings him with him back to like superhero life. He's having this conversation with him. Obviously, you can't understand what the monkey's saying, but then he's like he's sort of saying to, to scrunch the monkey he's like I, I thought we put all that jungle business behind us it was mating season how could I have known she was your sister and it's like how did they get that in
0: <laughs> 3 plus how did they, yeah 3 yeah, plus true how it's did they true. get that
1: in they, they had a gadget called the uh, called the crotchetizer right they, they had... and
0: it was a dildo yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean it might as well have been it was literally like a massive I think it was like a massive claw that you can like they, yeah. and then there was the personal hygienator the full body waxinator and he's like Captain Quark's a test dummy for this and he's kind of you know riffing to all these other little test subjects about this full body waxinator or whatever he's like a, well I, I can tell you now I'm sporting a smooth chassis and there are no tags on my luggage <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's golden it's absolutely gold how did they get that in
0: when when i talked about your memory earlier in this yeah that is proof of it right there you can remember almost line for line um uh i mean i remember you being able to do a really good impression you can do loads but really good impression of vector from Despicable Me and I just even though I don't know the specific line like just the way you say it and and the words you use I'm like that has got to be pretty near to what was actually said in the film and that just is testament to your memory Uh, and now you do have to do that impression that's that's that's, that's
1: very kind of you but I actually that's the one that slipped out of my head um oh god it's the bit of the bank of evil right it's the bit where he's he first meets him
0: (laughs) Come on! Oh, don't God. under what the it? pressure, the, uh... Joe. There's there's five people listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh great! Um, no, it's no, it's a bit where it's like, I'm applying for a new villain loan. Goes by the name Vector. It's a mathematical term represented by an arrow with both direction and magnitude. And then like, and then like, Gru is like sat on the other side of the seat, and he goes and like slides. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's the one, that's what he's like. Um, that's me, Vector, because I'm committing crimes with both direction and magnitude. Oh, yeah. And then he's, like, thrusting. And,
0: and then he thrusts. Oh. And that is the height of, of comedy for us. A good old yeah. thrust, a good old uh, poo-willy joke. I just cannot, I cannot deny. Like, I don't care whether it's lowbrow. A fart noise at the right time is just a, a joyous yeah. moment. Yeah. And potentially... Potentially the pinnacle <laughs> of comedy. Well, I, th- in I, certain think, I, think,
1: I think a really good example of this, which which came from from yourself actually, and influenced me very heavily recently, was uh, Brass Eye's Pedo Geddon, um, because because uh, like me and Cam, uh, my my brother, we, we were just talking about this literally yesterday or something, hailing it as probably like you know among the if not the best piece of televised satire on British TV because it's like okay not so much now because it's out of context, but if you understand the context of the time, the sort of parodying of BBC Panorama style shows and the mad hysteria that comes with their exploration of social issues and their their sort of bloodthirst
0: for, for chaos and things like this. <laughs> and and just the way that they address the camera. Yeah. Everything yeah. is too serious.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: exactly. And that like
1: they, you, you can tell that Chris Morris had huge success with that piece of satire because the very next day he was on all the front pages with Pete Ogeddon being criticised and lambasted. Um, of course, one of those papers, I think it was The Sun, but I don't want to slander them so I'm not going to say it definitely was. One... Sorry,
0: you, sorry, you don't want to slander The Sun? Well, oh, legally. Okay. You know, yeah,
1: in any other... Oh, I'd love to slag in off any... that paper all day long, but it's whether it's factually correct or not, you know. <laughs> a um, bunch of wankers at that paper but that's not the yeah um yeah. but
0: but um god i wish the children would just die in out <laughs> no actually um but, come on um, that's too much
1: yeah it's uh, but i'm pretty sure um one of the papers had on the, on their front page not just a complaint about brass eye and their approach to you know that they're not taking paedophilia seriously or whatever um <laughs> and accompanying that on the front page was i think something it was like about 13-year-old girls in bikinis or something. It was very weird. I I might have to look this up while we're talking just so that I can get yeah, this yeah, actually yeah. sort of correct. I'm going to also kind of still attempt to so, talk yeah, into that's... the microphone with my head leaning back. That... Um, yeah, so so just to clarify, and I'm glad I did look this up actually because it wasn't the sun, um, amazingly. Um, so the, the Daily Star, um, their article... Um, calling Brass Eyes episode uh, sick, um, was positioned adjacent to an article about the developing bust of 15-year-old singer Charlotte Church. Um, And the Daily Mail's coverage um, was preceded by close-ups of quote-unquote bikini princesses Beatrice and Eugenie, who were um, 12 and 11 at the time. So if and that that's why i herald that as amazing satire because it's it succeeded in its mission it it proved exactly like the hypocrisy and hysteria and pseudo outrage of these of these news outlets mm. and entities that don't actually seem to give a shit and are actually they have a thirst for this kind of thing they love this mm. you know they revel in it because it helps them um and also it's, at the same that- time weird pedo jokes you know it's, it's like yeah. like it is juvenile it is really silly but it succeeds on those terms you know that that bit about the guy uh, Disguised, disguised as a school, as a school. and that yeah. you know, sending a pedophile off into space, and then like the scientists were shocked to discover an eight-year-old boy was trapped on board or whatever. You know, the,
0: um, <laughs> this is the exact thing they didn't want to have. To <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the the, oh, yeah. the the Eminem parody, the the, the guy JL Bate who is the um, he's, he's like he has a rap song where he you know he's like a rap artist, the uh, founder of New Ass Music, um, who dates girls as young as eight or whatever it's um oh, it's hysterically funny it's so it good
0: now the, you referenced the star or was it the sort? no it was the star article yeah. in the daily mail yeah, article yeah, yeah. now what that sort of brought to mind for me was you know how um in today's times there is a feeling that Satire is dead and everything is so crazy and so ridiculous. The comedy is in the real stuff, which is horribly scary. But then when you when you reference that article, that's really that's awful stuff. So I don't know whether this feeling that everything's getting worse almost is is that is that as true as it could that's, be? That's a really because good question. because because that what you just referenced there, like that that wouldn't happen today. So maybe it's changed the dynamics dynamics have changed and in certain areas it's getting worse. But I I don't know. Yeah. I, I think on the whole it is getting worse just just per se. But yeah, so I don't know. So to to
1: give my kind of my my best but probably still quite mediocre analysis of this, um I think Hey, whoa, 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 whoa,
0: you gave your judgment an eight to ten, Joel. Oh. You've got to live by that. Yeah. You can't say mediocre, that would be a five or six, uh, maybe a four. Yeah, alright.
1: I'm I'm amazing, <laughs> I admit it. <laughs> 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 so um so I so the the way I see it personally, and obviously it's subjective, it you know, it it's not based on much else other than kind of my own experience with things. I think on the lines of sort of social and cultural sort of, um, you know, progressiveness and how dire the circumstances are, um, and, you know, such as that, like, like that media hypocrisy that, that we just talked about, for example, that that is, uh, you know, falls into that category. Um, I think, by and large, things were getting a lot better through the 21st century um, and have, have maybe declined in the last few years. I, th- I think around Brexit time and, you know, there, there has been a bit of an insurgence of um, the sort of social right, if you will, um, because think about it. You know, we we legalize gay marriage um, and there have been improved civil liberties generally, particularly um you know under blair blair did do some good it's, yeah. you know I, I'm, I'm not at all and, and in the west film, we should specify like, yeah yeah, as yeah, well. yeah 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 of course i'm yeah. sort of within the confines of the uk predominantly um but mm. but also you know there's no page three in the sun in the same way that they used to be and and that that sort of thing and there's a kind of you know, there, there is a sense that progress has been made. There's better representation in the media. That's particularly a very prominent conversation happening now. You know, there are gay relationships, minority communities better represented in the media. Um, you know, it's in our soaps, it's in our dramas, our comedies, our adverts, you know. And I, I think inherently that's a good thing. I think it's been a long time coming. I I, mm, I have a... My, my view changes slightly when it feels very contrived and forced and the writing suffers for it, but that's, that's a very separate issue issue but then of course Mm. we've not just got to think about that we've got to think about the economics you know so whilst on a social level i think things have been getting better and generally more liberal until the last few years on an economic level yes net wealth was improving and you know people's livelihoods were improving again through the earlier half of the 21st century but this Mm. last decade has been It has been an utter car crash. It's been, you know, one clusterfuck after another. And, you know, by their own terms, the governing party have failed... In almost every measure over the last decade, and uh, and on anyone else's terms as well, and you know, I think it's important to separate those things. Uh, you know, I, you know me, I, I picked my political battle years ago, and it, it was always going to be the left wing economics. It was always, you know, mm. I, 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 I'm a straight white male. I can't, you know, it's not me that should be okay yes i should be an ally to any progressive cause as best i can but it shouldn't be my voice at the forefront of that not that it is that would mm. be grandiose and pretentious but you, you get the idea yeah. like it's it, you know i i can only sort of best play some sort of support role in that you know whereas i have yeah. a lot more to say on the economics i think but um
0: yeah. yes and i think i think yes economically it's it's gotten just a bit too far but i think that what well, so there's a conspiracy theory uh or a theory <laughs> depending on how you look at it that big corporations and people that are currently benefiting from the economic system how it is they are willing to fully endorse um this um, conversation around, um what should i call it the more identity politics side is that the right term
1: yeah or well, kind of if you
0: <laughs> give me an example of the well, sort of thing really... you're talking about so a lot of brands have come out and they've like uh, uh, supported uh, these causes which is great also
1: oh, like, uh, However, like there is a... did you mean like lgbt q plus coffee cups and things like uh, yeah. this yeah 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 okay yes
0: and, and it well, well, not really just just they, they are supporting what um what is popular um And there is a theory out there that they are doing that and they are maybe, they're trying to keep the conversation geared towards that, not to say it isn't important, of course it is so important, but they're trying to make people focus on that and get consumed by that so that they don't um, notice the economic structures that are at play here. Mm. Um, And... And it's like they're conceding a bit of ground because if they didn't concede that ground, then all of their ground would be gone. So they are being tactical, these corporations in... in It's like, I've been watching The Crown recently, which I may say is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's, it's shot stunningly, the storylines, brilliant. Paid promotion well, storylines true. Here. <laughs> and and um, and the acting's great, but it's like the the monarchy—they conceded ground. They knew they were never gonna uh, live. in all power forever because they saw all these revolutions happening so they conceded the ground to keep themselves having some of the benefits which they have and I feel like again this is a theory in that corporation sense they are trying to concede that ground to prolong their stay at the top the actual stuff that matters to them which yeah I mean we're going to support all this we'll do all the branding for all these causes but really if the money's coming in in as it is we don't really care we're not going to make that big of a, a push for your um causes because you know it's all it's superficial i mean that's the theory
1: yeah 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 no i i think i i really like that analysis of it i i don't know whether i can sort of i think where it where it goes from being a theory to a conspiracy theory is when you think that it's kind of truly systematic in a really important sense so like that these companies have all these sort of secret meetings where they discuss you know where they're sort of open about it and that there's this top layer of this hierarchy where they're open about Bilderberg. it i think it's more that it, it sort of just happens by the nature of what we reward economically you know mm-hmm. we we place entrepreneurship and corporations in you know on a bit of a a pedestal really because of their supposed uh, you know crucial importance in keeping the economy going and making things grow and grow and grow <laughs> and obviously they are very important but but you know um but but I, I think yeah I, I I like the analysis that you're giving there because I think I think our generation as a whole uh, as a whole actually is quite cynical towards business, I think, um, mm. because I think we, uh, or, or rather sort of, you know, private enterprise, because I think we have mm. been um, let down, I think. We, we've been let down by the framework in which we've grown up, particularly millennials, you know, that are, so because we're sort of on the cusp of millennial to Gen Z. So like, uh, you know, the people who yeah. are in their late 20s now, for example, um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> It's a difficult one because I, I, you know, it's a difficult one because you don't know how to resolve it because like, if it isn't systematic, if it isn't purposeful, but is still a bit kind of cynical and and nonetheless does happen, then it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. who's at fault here? It's sort of like the whole the whole system is fault uh, is at fault there. But I I think you make a really good point about um, corporations ceding ground in some sense to um, appease. Progressives in general, um, offering a kind of sideshow from the real economic injustice. I think, I, I you know, mm. obviously I would say that. I, I do think you can relate all of these things back to a sort of systematic economic injustice that, you know, even mm. all the social injustices are kind of rooted in that fundamentally yes. because it's about your net welfare and quality of life. And, you know, unfortunately, that all proceeds through through wealth creation and you know maintenance and income Mm -hmm. and things so um yeah i i think i think a really good comparison is like how um the 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 way that margaret thatcher said her, her best accomplishment was tony blair and and the way that when john McDonnell went to davos there were a couple of people who were sort of saying you know that maybe a little bit of social democracy was a good thing As if that was like, well, you know, we'll retain the reins of power ultimately, but if if we give the dog a bone temporarily, Mm. give them a term of social democracy, a a bit of investment, you know, then the people will be happy enough for the system to continue as it is. And it wouldn't be truly transformative. Um, Mm. So I think, you know, I think those are good
0: comparisons to make. I think I think yeah, you've that is a perfect critique of 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 what I just said, and and makes total sense in terms of yeah, it, it, it's difficult to put a face to this, and 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 if it is like people gathering in in groups, all the elites, and whether it's actually that structured or something, that's where it does range into conspiracy. I think, um, but the Bilderberg Group. Wait, what? What's this? The, Bil- Bilderberg, you know Bilderberg? No, I don't. What? What is this? What is this? All right, whack it up on on Google now. You don't, you know the Bilderberg? Oh, uh, I, I do.
1: I, I think looking... I'm just an uncultured swine. Is... How do you spell it?
0: Oh, you know me, Joel. That's the worst question you could ever ask me. Oh, okay, no, no, uh, I, uh...
1: I, I, I got it. I got it. Hold on.
0: So this is where like um, people are invited to uh, all where, like the, sorry the most powerful people say in society um, I might be getting this wrong but come to um, this forest and they all stand in robes oh, I and know. Yeah, there I is know this the flaming birds that they all watch go up and it's like that fact alone that that exists does just make me question. It, it it really gives it leads me more towards that side. It is evidence for that more conspiratorial sort of thing. Yeah.
1: No. No. That that's very interesting. Actually, I think. Um, yeah, I, I do know what you're talking about now. I, I didn't know it by name, but it's kind of like a cult version of Davos by the by the sounds of it. But um, it's um, yeah. It's I I think so. Where I where I first where, when I first sort of came into. Political thinking. It was largely in opposition to Murdoch. It was largely a sort of, you know, the 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 right wing press were the enemy, and I didn't even fully understand left right before that, you know. But but it was kind of I saw corruption, and I saw that that was my kind of starting point. I saw David Cameron and George Osborne going to fancy dinners with Rupert Murdoch and co, and you know their families, you know, all exchanging hugs and kisses and um, chatting about all kinds of stuff, and you realize okay, they're all on the same team here. Um, and that is systematic. Stop
0: right there. They're all on the same team here. I need to go P so bad. Carry on that, porn. Uh I, I may also go P.
1: That's great news.
0: Um, you
1: timed can that stupendously can I just... well. I literally went to the loo and got a glass of water and came back, and we both sat down at the same time,
0: and we both sighed as... oh, with that sweet moment of relief. Ah, oh, you sit down after. I'm not going to lie to you, Joel. I went for a wee. A poo came out as well, um, <laughs> and and can I can I further? Uh, go to say that I have heard um, before the lie that you cannot pee and poo at the same time evidence right there what I just witnessed was evidence to the contrary from that belief because I swear I I saw that um, on like um, Brainiac or something you can't pee and poo at the same time well I did I did and it was delicious
1: (laughs) Oh god! I, sorry, sorry. I I I feel like I need to ask Ben. Are you sure everything's working okay down there? Like I d- that 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 seems to be a consensus, maybe for a reason. No, I th- I think you can have like one following quick succession by the other, or like.
0: You know but i think it's that they're like the same time joel hmm. and no i don't think everything is okay down there <laughs> i'm pretty sure i've got ibs <laughs> um but i don't, i mean i'll have to do some research um into that and get back I, to I people i'm you, sure i think it's that
1: you, you might be it, it might have been either ridiculously easy for you to to have a wee or to shit because normally if you try and make both those muscles work I think it's like that's why it's a one or the other but if you're really needing to go in one sense or the other I, I'm i not going to lie Ben I don't know if this is going
0: to make it into the <laughs> into the uh, I, I don't. I think I have ultimate power motherfucker and um, I think that I, I went for a pee so if I went for a... It, so, does that mean that my ass is the one that like maybe I just really needed to poo and I just didn't know it? Because by your logic, if I went for a pee and then my ass was so loose that a poo fell out, <laughs> then it's my then it's my ass's problem rather than my yeah, no, willies problem not to not to being able to um, suppress. The way I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to call my
1: musings on this logic. <laughs> I, I, I am pun intended talking out of my ass with this one. So it's you know, the, thankfully just talking and not also taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> talking about assholes, you were saying about David Cameron and uh, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, I so so what I what I observe in that is you know. They're all on the same team. I think that's where we left off, and um, so so. Uh... As are my cut <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and my asshole. <laughs>
0: potentially, um, <laughs> they're both they're both working in such tandem that they can oh, work no. together. It's it's not a fault. It's a triumph.
1: You're the next fucking stage of human evolution here, and Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, so so I I observed this, you know, um, this coming together of the the political elite and the, the the media moguls, and you know, started to understand a bit more about how, say, the Conservatives stopped the second Leveson inquiry from happening, or, or Leveson Part Two rather, and they, you know, the the uh, the, the Murdochs and. Those sorts of people at the top of the media food chain, you know, w- will donate to the Conservative Party, or they will, um, the you know, or rather, the people around them will. And the tabloid papers, in particular, as we know, are very systematically hostile to the left, particularly when the left is further to the left and could actually threaten them in their position of influence. Um, and likewise, is very generous to the right. Um, unfortunately, this is then um this is then sort of influencing the televised media so a good example of that because people often kind of this is where I lose people in this train of thought and they think you know but the tv media is supposed to be impartial and they're funded by the government and everything i mean that's already a clue that they might have some bias if they're being funded by the government you know but, by but the um but as as a more concrete point, take a look at the paper review on BBC News, for example. Well, they're going to pick what they see as a representative sample of broadsheets and tabloids uh, from across the political spectrum. But if the if the median or mean average paper is centre right, well then so will their coverage. You know, you know, their, their coverage will also be likewise. Their um, date Light London program, for example. Well, the people on that show are almost always going to be. people who have come from quite a well-off background and have been in positions of privilege to take up, say, unpaid internships in big cities and to become journalists or, you know, work for the civil service or to become uh, part of political institutions in some form or another in virtue of their privilege, at least in part. So, you know, who are these people who are jet-setting to and from different corners of the globe to meet in London? You know, who are they to... Um, offer discourse on the experiences of millions of people being pushed into poverty in Britain, for example, um, or or amongst the Western world, you know. Um,
0: And and it has such a huge effect. The media, I mean, as we've sort of talked about, like in terms of even just what games you play as a kid, you know, the media has such a huge fucking effect at every stage. And it's almost the most... You could argue the most important institution. um, Journalism, as well, that's so important. So there aren't abuses of power. And people it's like you it's like you are you're fighting for the people in the most truest sense of getting them the most clear information and explaining to them mm, yeah. in the clearest, most understandable way what is going on. It is so, so important. And I know mistakes happen, but even even the smallest mistakes can really have huge implications. And we should really I mean the, the Beeb is, I don't know, I just see so many instances where I'm like, how could you get that wrong? How could you, when you know the prime um, uh, responsibility of your broadcasting services to be impartial and fair, and then I see articles written and I'm just like, you use that word? Hmm. Are, you, are you sure? I, I I don't know. It's it's so difficult though because again I'm coming from my certain standpoint and you know what I see. Well, this is um, the difficulty, isn't it? Because th-
1: this is the difficulty, isn't it? Because we're um. You know, we're, we're, we're both generally on the left, and so it's very easy for us to say, oh, you know, the, the media's bias against the left and in favour of the right, and then the right-wingers will say, oh, no, no, that's not true. The, you know, the media's really liberal. It's, you know, it's really leftist, you know, loony left media and all this. And then the TV media are going to be like... Well, you know, but both sides of the spectrum are complaining, so that probably means we've got it right. No, it doesn't. It Mm -hmm. means one side might be bullshitting a bit more than the other. You know, there are ways to empirically verify this. That's what university studies have shown, for example. I have a really good example, just just (laughs) something that I found on my phone, if you don't mind me saying. Um, Uh, Yeah, uh,
0: or or both are right as well, because there could be both people on both sides that make accurate... um, Assessments yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, No, definitely. And, and, yeah, you're, you're right not, to correct me on that, actually. That's very fair. And, that's very and fair. And not to say that um, there haven't been thing, uh, and again, all these issues are on axes of economic, mm. um, social, um, but, you know, there's not to say that there hasn't been instances where potentially the be or, you know, have been, edging to more more towards the left side of things sorry bring up your example um
1: yeah so, so this was from uh sky news a few days ago um well or rather it must be a week or two ago now this was when um uh, it was um counter protest to the black lives matter protests now i unfortunately because i had my exams through all of this period so i I was seeing all of this on social media and not really being able to voice my own feelings on this or engage with it too much. But um, a really good example of this came from Sky News, where um, when they... So so they had an article like a week before what I'm about to tell you where they referred to Black Lives Matter protests turning into riots and the protesters being rioters. Um, and indeed, there were cases where there was a bit of rioting happening and that happened in the US and you know fair enough if you're going to say it on those terms then that's fine but be consistent about it because then when there were violent counter-protests the riots were called scuffles and the rioters were called counter-protesters um and that says so much. And people think that it doesn't. People so think much. that we're being really anal about this and really pedantic about it, but we're not. Like, We're not be- because
0: there are systems of people which it is their sole job to make sure, to to, to to review every word that they put out. And for them to miss something like that, it just, it's like there is there are loads of people that there is whole chains of networks which are... Uh, the, which are I mean the whole the whole thing the whole duty of the media in its end product is to produce some words which tell you the story. Yeah. So naturally those words are agonized over. Yeah. And then to miss something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well this, well, this yeah. is the thing. So I think the best argument I can give for this for, for kind of uh, outrage at this, if you like, is that there are there are two things that are going well, there's one of two things that are going on here. Right. Um, scenario A is that they made that choice of words and thought it was sort of, you know, that it was kind of. They didn't give it much thought and they thought it'd be fine, blah, 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 in which case it's an implicit bias and it might not be systematic. But in which case, well, you've just proven all the progressive minded people right anyway, because it, it speaks to the fact that there is some form of implicit mm. bias, whether it's against a certain race or uh, one gender over another or particularly like classist stuff going on you know not Hmm. not assigning the same level of kind of credibility to poorer people or you know something like that um and likewise like if it was scenario b where actually they did think about this for quite a while and thought it was fine anyway well that's that's a bit more sinister you know that's that's you know that, that's coming that's from the, the conspiracy top, and You know that's known, yeah. and and in which case that's sort of proving our earlier discussion right. So it's kind of it, yeah. it's, it's got to be one of those two things because these kind of examples mm-hmm. are not one-offs; they are consistent. Whether it's painting Jeremy Corbyn in shadier tones with his commie hat on, which he never actually wears, and you know painting him in Soviet colours and making him look all diminished and gremlinish compared to Theresa May or some shit like that, um, you know, or whether it's the media outrage his failure to bow low enough to, you know, at the Cenotaph or something like that Um, and then not picking up you know, not not criticising Boris Johnson for hiding in a fridge during the election campaign or, you know, the letterboxes thing or, you know like, all the stuff about Suspending parliament illegally and all of this stuff. It's like it's an absolute shit show. And yes, yes, these things were talked about, but they weren't in the same terms. It was kind of hmm. Boris is this, you know, eccentric, laughable buffoon, so he gets let off the hook. And you <laughs> he know, hit
0: in a fridge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. God. Oh, that's
1: so Boris. Oh, you couldn't make this yeah. stuff up. Ha 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 ha. But you know yeah. it's it's quite frightening because because the left are held to much higher standards. That's the thing. It's like any whiff of hypocrisy, any mistake is pounced on. Anything that isn't a mistake but could be ambiguously interpreted as one will be pounced upon. And it's, you know, it just simply isn't true of the right. And then so when you take those tiny examples in language, in interpretation, in misquoting, in all sorts of things, it, you know... It builds a much wider picture that does influence very significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and, and it that's does. not to say that there aren't journalists and, and sections of the media doing their job well. There, there still are. I like to hope there still are. I like to believe there still are. But um, uh, you know, and and yes, we are generalising. Yes, it's a more nuanced picture. But I think, by and large, I think there's a lot of credibility to to what we're saying there. <laughs>
0: we've got to wrap up soon because I've got quesadillas to the right of me Um, (laughs) but uh, do you think it's going to get better? Do you think that um, in this sort of democratization um, that the internet brings um, of certain medias do you think that we will yeah get more uh, unbiased news sources or do you think it will go the opposite direction and people will just be in their bubbles Mm. even more? It's um. But, but fairly quickly. Oh shit! Okay. Because uh, these quesadillas <laughs> are smelling good. <laughs> um.
1: Well, this is the thing. So, so the last time I came on, uh, deep chats, um, in its in its Facebook live stream form, um, I made a prediction that was quite a way off, and and did qualify my prediction by saying it could be a lot higher, it could be a lot lower. Um, And I I learned a very valuable lesson in that, which is that things are changing with such volatility at the moment. There is so much happening so fast, it is impossible to keep track of. Um, And it's also, it makes it so much harder to predict what's going to happen. I I like Mm. to think that there could be a resurgence of the left across Europe and maybe even America eventually. Um, I look to people like Jacinda Ardern, for example, and think what a bastion of hope for the left. She has handled Covid spectacularly. And today said that if you're an economy that's growing, but your net social welfare is decreasing, that is a failure, not a success. To put it in those terms is fantastic. It's a manifesto for a generation. But, you know... Every left wing politician in any future election campaign is going to suffer from a deep fake video where someone has made it look like they've said something horrific and it won't be verified. And then eventually it will be confirmed that it was fake, but it's too late because 10% of the population still believe that it was either true in the first place or is a cover up in denying that it was fake, you know, or true or whatever. So, fact check dot. Oh, Fucking yes, exactly. And, and, you know, it started out as election fraud over the last, um, so in 2015 and 16 and 17, um, in various different guises, particularly in 2016 in terms of social media, but in terms of um, posing as a fake Welsh call centre that was surveying people in 2017 or illegal overspending in 2015. And, you know... I I am quite scared. Uh, There are countries in Europe that are going the way of neo-fascists. Take Viktor Orban in Hungary. Poland is now looking to go that way. Um, We need need the left and the centre to come together and say, there are some quite dangerous things happening. We need people yeah. like Jacinda Ardern, and then centrists along the lines of Angela Merkel, or say like so. In my girlfriend's country of Latvia, they have a kind of centre-centre-right coalition. Although in Britain, it's more like centre-centre-left, and and their prime minister has dealt with COVID spectacularly and was responsible and brilliant and whatever. Um, I'll I'll wrap it up now because I can I can tell <laughs> um, I can tell you're eyeing up. Uh, so, um, but. Um, but yeah, I think I think it really calls for some brilliant leadership that, that is both rational and makes an emotional case. An emotional case with policies from the left and sensibility from the
0: centre, I think. And what a pleasure it is to have that man right here oh, on the podcast. Because <laughs> give, give it a couple of years, mate. Ugh. This will be used out of context. That slag room comment. Out of context. Oh yeah, no, in it'll your, be pointing to an uh, auto tune remix campaign. where I
1: call someone a slag. That's that's what it'll be. <laughs> that if, like 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 a, a right wing version of cassette boy or something, making a, a remix of me.
0: <laughs> oh. Exactly, no, that's what it'll be. But no, what what a pleasure to have a future prime minister on on the show. You're um, no, way too and... <laughs> fucking kind. I'm blushing <laughs> I'm... <laughs> all over, mate. Honestly.
1: <laughs> Wait, that sounded. Oh, that, so um, that came out incredibly wrong. You can tell it's been a long time chatting. I'm. Uh, Yeah, no, no, I really am
0: blushing all over,
1: Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I've got, uh, I'm trying to keep a, uh, a consistent question, a consistent string through these podcasts um, that I ask every time Um, and. I don't know whether you got a chance to listen to the last one. Uh, I was uh, on with my mate, Nick, and we were trying to think about what that question could be um, uh, to ask at the end of the podcast. Um, But what we sort of fell on was um, if there is uh, anything um, to be taken away from this podcast, what would it be? And it can then be a bit of a dialogue between the two. So if, if, if anyone were to take one thing, even if it was small from what we've talked about... What 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 do you think it would be to sort of put a bow on this piece of audio?
1: Oh, I mean, it's a fantastic question. I, I really struggle with questions like this. Um, I think, certainly in the latter half of it, I, I guess, think critically and engage with, with the external world around you in a way that is balanced and you know thoughtful. I guess.
0: Um, yeah. But also remember that you're a fucking idiot sometimes. Yes. And we all make fucking stupid decisions. Yeah. And uh, decisions. make sure to
1: hide lots of dirty, inappropriate jokes in three plus video games for kids to
0: later discover when they grow up. Thank you so much, Joel, for <laughs> joining me. Honestly, mate, it's been, it's been, it's been lovely. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and I always enjoy speaking to you. It just, it, it yeah. It's beautiful. Thanks, mate.
1: Thank you so much, Ben. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad you got me on board
0: for this. And cut. (laughs) God, what a soppy
1: shit.